Welcome back, everyone. I'm Alexis. This is Peter. And today we are doing the first episode of To the Table for the first time in a millennia, or what feels like a millennia. Welcome to To the Table, the show where we throw movies at each other and we sit down and talk about them. Today we're going to be discussing two films M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable and Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread, which features the final performance of Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, Unbreakable, uh, we're doing it. We've seen these movies, God knows, I think months ago at this point, and we we'll think we finally Just last week, are... what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, last week, sure, sure. They, they buy that entirely. Uh, I mean, it has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, M. Light Shyamalan's recent film, and it turns out to be the trilogy capper of this series, uh, Glass is coming out the week that this, uh, that this episode is released. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. That, um, I mean, that sounds like a coincidence. Yeah. Uh, rather interesting one, but yeah, yeah it's still a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a Just happened to align that way. Yeah. It, it certainly does. You know, uh, M. Night, uh, uh, he says that most of his films are about like um, faith and like destiny. So yeah, I guess we can we can say that that took place that, here. A little bit of you destiny. Could, you could say that this was always meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, I think you can definitely say that. So uh, I, I, it's interesting. Which one do you want to tackle first? Uh, I wonder. Um, Should we just go ahead and go with Unbreakable? Well, let's do that one last. Let's okay. do that one last because. All right. Like we said, glass is coming out. We'll do that one last. So Phantom Thread, then. Uh, Phantom Thread is a film that I handed off to Peter because he had expressed a lot of interest uh, around this time last year, believe it or not, um, that uh, this was one of his films that was on his list to see uh, for the remainder of the calendar year, which was 2017. Um... For those of you paying attention, this is calendar year 2019, so it definitely took some time to arrange a screening for Mr. Oh Martinez. my god, we're all gonna die. Um, so, um, I actually had the privilege, or displeasure, I mean, I still haven't really made up my mind about it, I guess we will right now. You don't uh, deserve wa- the movie theaters you get, sir. Of watching this movie in a theater experience, which I think maybe even hindered it for me, because there was nothing... Honestly, I could have been watching the film with crickets. Um, I was watching this movie actually with, with, with a good friend of the show, Eric Wong. Uh, we walked in because we, we had a, a mutual interest for the film. I think it actually might have been around January this, uh, last year, 2018, when I watched this movie. And um, I don't mind a slow pace. I do not mind a deliberate pace. Um, in fact, I wouldn't even call the movie boring. Um, but for reasons I cannot fully explain, I was nodding off here and there. Um, so, but I did not expect Peter to have that reaction whatsoever. And I fully anticipate him to love this movie. Um, so much so that he said the other day that I think that, uh, had he had the option to redo his top 10 list of 2018 or 2017, I should, I should say, getting the years confused there, that he would be, uh, very, we're not going to have the top. 10 uh, list of 2018 until 2020 so yeah yeah so just just so people are aware of that and they and we have been reminding people of that fact uh for like several podcasts in a row now if you listen to the main red spotlight podcast and you're well aware 
that's exactly when it's going to happen. But Peter said to me that he was very, that he, if he had to do it all over again, he would be very inclined to put uh, Phantom Thread in top 10 uh, and maybe kick another one of those movies out there. So I think that should tell you that he seemed to enjoy his time very much. Um, and here we are with Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Peter Martinez, um, it took you some time to see this movie uh, for a lot yeah. of reasons. Uh, tell us um, what's on your mind about this movie. Um, do you watch Rick and Morty? You know that I watch Rick and Morty because okay. I'm forced to of the cult of this podcast. Okay. Okay. It's just because, you know, you said it was slow. Maybe you aren't an intellectual who watches Rick and Morty that you understand intelligent film. Okay. <laughs> Peter is joking, by the way, although he really isn't. Am I, though? Am I? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's always an open question. Are you even human if you don't enjoy Rick and Morty? I didn't say I, this is not a review on Rick and Morty. <laughs> what are you talking about? I love Rick and Morty. Okay. Well, now someone's overcompensating. Um, (laughs) Sorry, it's just because I already know Alexis is mad, so I'm trying to see which buttons I can push. Um, Oh, you know what I notice we don't usually do? And I think we should do it more often just to give better context to what we're discussing is uh, to give the summary of what the film is actually about. So I'm going to do that real quick, okay? Uh, by all means. Uh, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, Phantom Thread is about renowned British dressmaker Reynolds Woodcock, who comes across Alma, a young, strong-willed woman who soon becomes a fixture in his life as his muse and lover. Um, so, yeah. It's, uh, on the surface, rather simple tale. Uh, boy meets girl. Boy and girl are both fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, they are. <laughs> they fall in love. <laughs> I, I, because the when you first described the film, you said like you were tired. You said it wasn't boring, but you're just. I expected it to be like pretty slow. Like I expected it to take a while to like get anywhere. Um, surprisingly enough for me, though, like I I felt like the film really flew by for me. Mm. Like then but, you loved it then. By the time it was wrapping up, I was like, oh, it's wrapping up. Okay. Like, it, 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 I never felt, like, there are some films that are good, but holy shit, are they slow. And it's just, like, you kind of want to grab the remote and go, eh, this scene is, like, we're holding on this shot for, like, almost a minute. Let's just, you know, hurry it up just a little bit, okay? Um, but no, with this film, I never felt the need for that. I, I thought it, it had a pretty good pace. Um, I I really loved the film. I thought it was amazingly directed. Um, it was actually a really interesting story with interesting characters. Um, yeah. It's not really a complicated story as far as uh, the points of narrative go. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's mostly has to do with the characters. Specifically, um, uh, the uh, Woodcock, that was his name. Yes. And um, the girl that he falls in love with, Alma. Uh, 
It's really interesting. And I and I saw a lot of people like hate the ending. Um I I I didn't. I actually rather enjoyed the ending. Um so overall I'm actually very positive on the film. Uh so let's mm-hmm. get into, let's get into spoilers. Yeah. Um let's get into spoilers. <laughs> what was so boring to you? Why why does this film suck? I never said those words. I maybe I I, I didn't say the movie was boring, and I never said that it sucked. I didn't even say I was bored. I there's a difference that. there. Okay, there's a there's a difference there. Um, I I one of my initial reactions out of walking away from this movie. Um, usually, if I walk away from a film, uh, and had shall we say the physical reaction that. I, First of all, I can't even remember the last time I fell asleep during watching a movie. Um, and I, I can. guess which which, one, which film it was? Which which was it? Jurassic uh, World. I think it was the second Wonderland film. Alice in Wonderland. Through the Looking Glass. Oh shit! You saw that movie? I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, yeah. Oh god. Oh god. That that you can tell it's just strictly awful. I want to say, um, you know, having the benefit of time and looking back on the movie, I did not dislike my time here. And I thought there was a lot about the movie that I actually liked. I think for me, my main struggle that that way it's kind of, you know, put out there in the open is whether I love the film or I just love the craftsmanship that's on the screen. Mm. Um, Because while if I'm going to, reach back into my psyche and to pull back that experience and what I remember from the film. Uh, and maybe not, not to spoil the ending. I'm not going to, but to touch on what you said, if I recall the, the ending correctly now, before we get into spoilers, um, it's, I recall it being a perfect ending considering the nature of the two characters and considering the journey that were the lack thereof that there was in the movie, uh, and, and the back and forth that there was. So, Without question, the direction is impeccable. Without question, it was one of the best-looking uh, movies of that year, and maybe of this year as well. The cinematography is spectacular. The score, the original score composed for the film, is dreamlike, which may explain why it would kind of play like a lullaby to me sometimes. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, because I mean, to be fair, I went to go see this movie at a late screening because I was kind of in a rush to, you know, get this out of my bucket list and kind of, you know, consider all the movies for 2017. Um, and this was like the the next available screening of that day. Um, and it just so happened that our good friends Nettie and Eric were available for that screening. And so um, we went and uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I was a little bit tired, maybe a little bit more than I had you know, maybe even realize myself because by the time that I'd walked in there and I was watching the movie, I was being put to sleep. Um, not that I expected this movie to be a fast paced film, not that I have issues mm-hmm. with slow paced movies. Um, I don't think anything in this movie was boring. I just think it was very deliberate with how it, you know, it used its pacing, which I thought was very well for what the film ended up being. I thought both of these characters, Alma and, uh, and Reynolds, uh, had a very fascinating relationship with each other. Um, that it's a relationship that isn't really, I think, seen or not that I have seen, you know, done. And the setting was uh, was interesting. So 
I love the relationship with uh, all of the, our main characters. I thought the performances were exceptional. Daniel Day-Lewis, again, gives an extraordinary performance. Alma was great. The actress that played Alma was Vicky Cripps. And then also Leslie Manville, who played uh, Reynolds' sister, uh, Cyril, was amazing as well. So I would just say, overall, there's a lot about this movie that I respect, that I admire, that I appreciate, um, and actually love, believe it or not. Um, And it's not that I can't get over the fact that perhaps I was dozing on and off, um, but I can't, like not include that as part of my overall experience about the film. But I liked the movie. I ultimately thought it was a a nice film uh, and definitely one of the best of last year. I'll tell you this, just remembering flashes of Phantom Thread um, would easily make it into the top 20 or top 10 of this year, maybe even number one, who knows. Um, so... I That's mean, what it, I thought. It didn't make your top ten last year. Well, no. There's no reason why it would, considering the reaction I had to it. Yeah, apparently, you know, Thor Ragnarok made the list. Um, uh, Thor Ragnarok's better for me. It's better. It may not be better for you, but it is better for me. Um, but that again, it draws our differences. Mm-hmm. I mean, the post. The, oh god, the post is way better. Way better. Very underrated. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Laugh. But it's I, okay. how I feel. Different strokes, different folks. Yep. Um I I I saw the reaction that a few people had to the film, and I I kind of thought it was funny. Uh, specifically the ending, because I think the film is very clear the entire time that this is just a film about like two fucked up people and a pretty fucked up relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know that people not realize that. Cause I think the ending caught them off guard and it's like, a why though? <laughs> like th- these are clear. What were they expecting? Like a happy ending, a happy Hollywood ending. I think they expected. What would a like, happy Hollywood? What would a happy Hollywood ending look like for these people? I think that's a better question to ask. Um, they they both learn from each other, I guess, and then they they get married, or they realize they're not you know compatible, so they walk away from each other, and something like that. But it's like no, <laughs> like they do. They're both messed up in kind of a messed up relationship but a messed up relationship that works. Yeah. <laughs> In a really weird way, but you I think yeah. you come to the conclusion that it actually works. So getting into spoilers now, uh, tell me uh, what about this movie just uh, really makes you love it? Um, well, to begin with, um, the main character, what's his name? Reynolds. Reynolds. Reynolds uh, Woodcock. He is, I find him really interesting. He's an interesting character. You could tell um, he he's a genius when it comes to fashion. I know nothing about fashion, but you could tell within the film, like, that's, he's very much coming off that way. He basically is a child. He's almost stunted, like, mm. um, emotionally. 
Right. And there's little hints that it has to do with his upbringing and his connection with his mother and maybe even his genius that, you know, kept, you know, yes men around him his whole life and told him how great he is that he never felt the need to like humble himself in any way. So now it's like he, he had, he kind of collects, um, girlfriends Mm -hmm. for like a month or two until they just, he gets tired of them. They're like toys to him. And then he moves on. Uh, and, and he's not so much a bad person. He's just kind of more of an immature one. Mm -hmm. And his whole life is kind of created to feed into that. And you can tell several times that they're just concepts that he just does not grasp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, uh, Here's a good real-world example of that. Um, have you ever heard um, Kevin Smith tell stories before? He likes to tell uh, a lot of different stories about uh, celebrities' experience in real life. And one time he was doing this thing for Prince, uh, the singer. Mm-hmm. And Prince is like, um, I don't want to say handler, but like his... Um, assistant? Assistant told him like you can't really tell prince no because he kind of doesn't understand it (laughs) he said like um that she had said like he'll like at three in the morning he'll just be like oh go get me a giraffe and like he doesn't (laughs) (laughs) understand yeah and she said like he just he he wouldn't understand like no, like you can't do that. But he's like, but why? You know, like he just doesn't understand because because Prince was always an immensely talented individual at a very young age, mm-hmm. um, and uh, oh, it just kind of feels when you the world is different when you're like that. When you're entire, it's very different. Life. There are no rules for you, basically. Yeah, um, and you can see that. Um, Reynolds Woodcock. Uh, that sounds like an like an action hero name. Reynolds, Reynolds Woodcock, Woodcock, really? I think so. Um, you could tell he's kind of lived his life in that way, but at the same time, he's also yearning for like uh, an intimate relationship on mm-hmm. on that level. But again, he's just so emotionally like effed up; it's difficult for him. And then when you meet um, Alma. And it's and it start it's you could tell it's basically um, it starts like all his other other all his other flings start like oh he meets um, she obviously takes an attraction to him and and him to her and then he like he kind of keeps these women around like like trophies like well like toys yeah it's like oh I found a brand new toy. And I'm having fun and I'm going to play with it. He literally plays dress up with them. Like yeah. he, he turns them into his models so that he could. In uh, a lot of ways, he actually looks forward to, you know, getting the new girl of the month because, yeah, he gets to play with them. But he, he almost, I think from that first scene that I recall when he takes Alma and he's just looking at her and he's looking about, thinking about what she would look best in. It's almost like one of those, you know, um, like a... Uh, an experimental process for him, like where he 
really kind of thrives the most creatively, shall we say, to kind of get the creative juices flowing by using them almost in a sense uh, for and kind of creating new challenges for himself, trying to get into his mind. Yeah. And at first, you're just kind of like, oh, poor girl. Like, <laughs> she doesn't yeah. realize because she at first she comes off as like really quiet and mm-hmm. like, um, and you're like, oh, po- like poor girl, she's just gonna be like stomped on by this guy. Um, but slowly and slowly, sh- as the story goes on, layers are pulled back to her where she's like, uh, she's kind of crazy too. Yeah, um, yeah, you just didn't see it there. Yeah, <laughs> and you, ha- you, I, I have to wonder though, like looking back on it, and keep in mind, I did kind of you know, fall asleep several times, so I <laughs> might have missed a sequence. But like, one of the biggest surprises is that what you just mentioned. But I have to wonder though, is I think for me, just trying to like question it, was it something that was in her from the beginning? We just didn't notice that, or is it a byproduct of spending so much time with this person, uh, Reynolds Woodcock? Um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know if the film ever explicitly showed it was one way or the other. Right. Um, I kind of feel like she had to have that in her beforehand though. Um, right. But again, his influence could have pushed her in that direction as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and what slowly starts to happen throughout the film, because he, like he, he gets to the point, like he gets to the point with all of his um, flings is he starts to get bored. He starts to kind of want to move on. And again, to him, he treats them less like people and more like things. Um, But she, um, instead of just being hurt and getting mad is like, I am not going to let that happen. No, (laughs) she's like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. He's basically like, oh, um, we're breaking up. And she's just like, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's it's that kind of scenario. And in a lot of ways, I think um, at that point, I think you realize uh, to an extent she's much more of a political animal than maybe perhaps she let on. Like, if she's willing to fight for something, she will. And I think perhaps at that point, while I was watching the movie, it was kind of a little bit romantic in a sense. Not, you know. (laughs) <laughs> not putting the, not not to put in the political manipulation, you know, mm-hmm. part of that that whole decision making. But she essentially threw herself into his world. She made she forced herself a part of his world by kind of conforming to uh, the rules that he sets forth in the household. How she compo- like one of the the key things that the film keeps cutting back to is the ex the. The, the composure that you have to have at breakfast and mm-hmm. you cannot make any noise at breakfast she at like, all. What was it like the, one of the first days she, she tried to eat toast. She was just literally trying to put butter on toast. And you know, you know that sound that when you try to put butter on toast, it, you're scraping something. And it's, you know, again, in hindsight for people like you and I, and I think any normal person who's like accustomed to just these kind of noises, a perfectly natural sounding noise at a setting like this. And it was it, to, to Reynolds. It was as if you, you, you drove a tractor into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Like one of, <laughs> one of my, uh, my favorite, favorite lines from the film is, um, 
when he was in his office working and I think she came mm. in and she tried to give him tea and then he just got like, he lost it. He was so pissed off. He's like, I, did I ask for tea? Like <laughs> you've, complete, you've completely distracted me now. And then she's like, like, fine, I'm leaving. And then, he, and then she's like, and I'm taking the tea, you know, cause he's and cause she kept complaining about bringing the tea. And she's like, yes, you're leaving with the tea, but you're leaving the distraction here. Um, wow. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, he had a, was a, a number of those lines. <laughs> yeah. He had a number of those lines. So that was a, a good one among those lines that really uh, just show you what kind of an asshole he is. Yeah. And it's, it, but again, kind of to really, you know, to go back to what you were saying, it's, it, it's played off so brilliantly where it's like, is he doing it on purpose to be an asshole? Or is it just the way that he is and doesn't realize how that comes across or he does realize how that comes across and just doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's, he's an artist. (laughs) He's an artist. And, um, they, they set up the early on in the film, his like mommy issues basically. Mm. And the way that, um, Alma, is that her name? Yeah. Alma's her name. Alma. Alma or Cyril. The way that she slowly um, sort of cements herself in his life is through the role of a surrogate mother to a certain extent. Yeah. Like she tries to insert herself. And also she um, she tries to push certain boundaries with him. And again, that's where he like loses his shit. And he, like he starts going crazy. Like the... Um, the one scene where she wanted to make dinner for him mm-hmm. and the, the sister's like, that's not a good idea, but you could tell she was trying to insert herself into his life. Yeah. Like, no, but no, it's not a together. good idea because that's just not what he's accustomed to. It's not something he, he desires or even I think considers something that is meaningful to him. And if mm-hmm. it's not meaningful to him, there is no meaning in it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so throughout the film, it's this real back and forth to the point where their relationship is like super strained. And he's basically like a day or two away from just kicking her out. And then that's when she throws the Hail Mary. And she's like, well, let me just poison him then. <laughs> <laughs> so like right in the middle when he has like this ginormous like client, he needs to create the, the, the dress. She just straight up poisons him. <laughs> Like puts him on his deathbed just so she could be the one to nurse him back to health, back to to health. Um, and at that point, you're like, "Oh shit!" Like she is. Oh my god. <laughs> I did you see that coming? Mm-hmm. No, no. It it really I didn't see it coming at all. But it it really became one of those like gasp moments. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And there's a whole, even the way that it was played out in the sequence with, you know, because I think it starts off with her cooking and it looks innocently enough. And then it real, and then you realize what it is that she's cooking when it shows you like, um, it cuts away to her going to the forest and, and, and her reading a book of the, of the mushrooms that are poisonous. Yeah. It, it was played off beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it got the reaction that it was uh, getting or it was going for anyway. And all of which to say is, what the fuck? I thought, I at that point, not knowing how the movie was going to go in the, in the end, it was like, 
Oh, she's going to kill him. Yeah. I, I think that's a reasonable assumption to take from that. Not that she wanted to nurse him back to health, but it was a better twist that, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. she is going to poison him to the point of almost being dead. Basically, I'm going to make him need me. Yes. Um, so that he can't get rid of me. <laughs> um, exactly. Which, um, yeah, probably if you're in a relationship that's failing, don't do that. Um, well, I don't know. This It worked in this case. I would just say <laughs> it worked here. It worked One here. One of them you, might you, still end up dead. We don't know. Um, but again, he, he goes through like, basically brink of death. She She nurses him back. And like he is in more in love with her than ever, yeah. and again, it, a lot of it has to do with those mommy issues. And then I think like right after that is when he proposes to her, yeah, to get married. But and then, then the relationship runs its usual course, and right then they back. end up getting in a situation in the exact same situation where they were, where he's fed up, he's about to kick her out, and what is she? She the. She throws out her Hail Mary, and it works again. <laughs> but, this, but this is the real twist of the movie. Again, the, oh, oh, I love finding themes with these shows. The themes of this show is twists. Oh, yes, massive twists massive at the end twists. of the movie. Um, and I think this is where people were like, what the? Like, this is where people were really like, what the fuck? Is he knows... Like the, the film makes it very clear that he finds out that she's poisoning him and then yeah. he's pretty into it. <laughs> 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 like this is their thing to like keep them afloat. To like keep I, them going. Like I, I, I'm trying to real world, like not, not as crazy example of that. It's like, if you have a, like a really bad strained relationship where the two always fight but if so, like every couple of months they go clubbing and, and clubbing makes them like it's 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 their outlet. And then they feel close again. But then, it, oh, slowly they start fighting again. So then another two to three months they have to go out. I don't know. Clubbing probably isn't a good I don't know what else. Well, clubbing is well, or like heavy drinking. Okay. You you yeah. know what I mean? Like just getting yeah, shit faced and partying like crazy. Right. Like that's where they're able to get close again. Do you, do you, does that make more sense? I I make sense. Yeah, it makes okay. sense. I know what you're referring to. Yeah. Um. So like they so they have this sort of like from that point on they have this sort of uh, relationship that somehow works in which he is just an egomaniac um, who could just blow up at any second. But any, so they have sort of like this, she kind of worships him. So he likes that. Um, But eventually, but she's also a disruption because he can't necessarily control her. Um, So every once in a while, she poisons him. And then he likes that feeling of just sort of being looked after in a motherly way and nurses him back to health. And then they're fun and happy again until they're not. 
And that's how. And they both know. They this. both that's know the thing about the movie. They both know that this is the crux of their relationship. They both know that they will always be heading toward this exact moment, and they both know that she will have to poison him for him to be sick, to be nursed back to health, and to kind of rekindle their love in a sense. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, that's pretty. They we're cool with this. Um. Yeah, I don't know if there was like a certain message to the film. Particularly, I think it's really just a film, just almost a character study, just looking at these people. Um, and I mm-hmm. found it really fascinating overall. And I, I, like I said, I was never bored because even in the slower scenes, um, you had Daniel Day-Lewis doing just some amazing acting. And there, yes. and there was always something like entertaining um, mm-hmm. like, like the whole breakfast or, that, or, or even yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Like the whole breakfast scene, like when she yes. was doing that, I was like, Oh shit, what's going to happen? Cause I knew it, it's technically like a slow and what a lot of people might think is boring scene, but I was really entertained because yeah, s- something was going on with that. Um, like the scene, uh, was she a queen or she was some high status woman who had ordered a yeah. dress, but she wasn't acting. Uh, I don't know what the word is. British. She wasn't acting sophisticated enough. British. Sure. So they, they like kind of, you can't compliment the British people. Are you kidding me? Oh, I thought I would think it's a negative to just be like, what for them to like, what to, to act sophisticated? Okay. Well, I feel like, Oh, it's calling all British people uppity. No, that's not oh, okay. That's not what I meant okay. to say. Sorry. Continue, but I know you're referencing that this person was not um, acting the way that she should be acting at a, a, a an event like this, mm-hmm. uh, and she had gotten carried away with the liquid, shall we say? And like they bond over the fact that they're like, "Give us the dress back." You know, she's she's acting undignified to wear one of oh yeah, our that's dresses. the thing. That's uh, that, that it wasn't even so much that they give a shit about this person or her problem mm-hmm. is the fact that she was acting this way well, while wearing Woodcock's dress, mm-hmm. and they were both so outraged by that. I remember, I remember just laughing at that. Like, are you of all the things? I mean, you get why Woodcock would care most about that, but like, really, this person's kind of collapsing before your very eyes, and it's not her you care about; it's the fucking dress. They bond over how awesome he is. <laughs> And they, yeah, and and they have to. And it becomes this weird thing where, in, in in this part of the movie that you're talking about, they plot to take the dress back from mm-hmm. her. And like, <laughs> that's how outraged they are. <laughs> like that was a little moment where it's like, it was kind of its own little like tiny story that went on. Yeah, there. Really it was, was like, oh, that's interesting. I like that. But also, yeah. it's it's interesting because, um, like you're saying, he he hates her for being disruptive and pushy but that's also you can tell those are also kind of the things that attract him to her yeah and like a child that just he doesn't know what to do with that so he lashes out um like you like he gets really jealous like uh was it the new year's uh yeah the new year's party where she's like i want to go out and then she just left and you could tell he's just like jealous like like he's jealous and the thing is he did not want to leave he did not want to go anywhere that mm-hmm. night he didn't want to go to a party. She did. And she left and that made him jealous because mm-hmm. she would be enjoying herself without him. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that's the one thing it's like, he loves when he worships her, but the idea that he can't control her, like it's a lot of just like, um, 
human. Did this? I gotta. I gotta ask you. Did, does this remind you of the Underwoods relationship? Oh yeah, Frank and Claire Underwood oh, from House of Cards. It felt very much like there's that. a lot, a lot of that in there, where it's just like two just messed up people, but right. it kind of works because they're both <laughs> messed up in just the right way. Of yeah, and it's really interesting to see. What I find about those kind of relationships so interesting is because it's like, okay, um, what's going to happen to their relationship of you throw this wrench at it? Okay, what's going to happen to this relationship now that you throw this wrench at it? Like, I would be interested to see um, what happened when they had a kid. Like, because holy shit, is that a a distraction slash disruption for... um, Mr. Reynolds Woodcock, how does he yeah. react to that? How does she quell him or stop him from like just burning the house down because the kid's crying, yeah. um, the baby's crying in the morning? If anything, I feel like he would buy the kid like a house next door so he wouldn't have to hear him cry. <laughs> well, it depends on how loud the crying is and how uh, thin the walls are. Yeah, but the. So a lot of the entertainment value for me for the film just came from like, how are these characters going to react to this situation? Yeah. yeah. And seeing how it played out. And also it's the reason why it's also so great is when you have fantastic actors who just sell every moment of their performance, um, it makes it that much more enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, again, um, last year, who won best actor last year? For, uh, for uh, was it Mahershala Ali? No, no, no. Best lead actor. Oh, I don't know. Was it Daniel D. Lewis? No, oh, no, 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 no. It was what's his name? Uh, the, that speaking of the Brits, Churchill. Oh, it was uh, Gary Oldman. Yes, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, which also gave a great performance. No, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis, again, gave an amazing... I mean, I think they all did. I think, honestly, they probably all should have been nominated. I, I also loved Leslie Manville's uh, Cyril. Ooh, she was a wonderful was, character, too. She's another one where it's like, she's so interesting. Because yeah. she understands him perfectly. And she puts up with his shit. But, like, mm-hmm. she's also sort of like... A, like if he were a child, she was the stern like babysitter or handmaid. Yeah, who's just like, um, I I love and like this is the clip that I think most people show to show her performance, where like he's yeah. being a child and he starts lashing out at um, Alma at the breakfast at table. the breakfast table, and then he tries to do it to her, and then she's like, and like that's the first time she slightly breaks because. Um, throughout the entire film where she's like, don't you fucking start that shit. I will leave you bloodied on the floor. Like, do not try and come for me. And then he just kind of, all, all, all the while, but I, I got the, the brilliance of that scene and how it, it's delivered by the actor is amazing enough as it is, but also how that scene is dressed up, right? The camera just sits on her mm. on that shot and she's still holding her cup of tea and she's still, and it's still over her face or not over over her mouth and she's trying to drink it so it's like all do, c- carrying that 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 very uh, explicit threat mm-hmm. while also being very proper and you know enjoying a cup of tea basic basically sh- like showing like it, it ain't it ain't a thing <laughs> like she's not getting <laughs> up and throwing things around like she's like she's calm collected like i know for a fact yeah 
like it really adds to the intensity and the believability that yeah, she she will own him in a second if he tries shit with. And of him. course, and of course, his response he just shut yeah, up. Yeah, he just shut up. There was no response. <laughs> so no, no. Um, overall, I I just it's a film I really enjoyed. Um, you didn't like the score? The score was fantastic. It was beautiful. It was. I think it was nominated for a best score uh, last year at the oh, Oscars. There's a few other things I want to talk about. Just to, just to fire them off real quick. Like you said, the yeah. score is fantastic. Of course, the um the costuming, fan freaking tastic. Uh, the directing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the costumes. The directing slash cinematography. This is one of those films mm-hmm. where like you, you just see certain scenes and you're just like, wow. So, yeah. Just really, really well done. That that's the thing. Um, it's one of those films, and again, Paul Thomas Anderson at every level. It's just like excellent, excellent acting, writing, script, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, even though we've been talking a lot about the characters and the acting, um, don't think that it's you know the other areas of filmmaking were lacking because they were not at all. They were certainly no, up to weren't. par with everything else. Yeah. Um, no, I really, really like it. Yeah, I think it would it would probably crack my top ten of twenty seventeen. I I don't know. Do you think? Um, do you believe in going back and changing it, or just keeping the list how it was? I think we can talk about that some other day because I think that's a very long winded answer. Probably. That really isn't an answer. Probably. I don't know. I think the 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 way that you would uh, I think maybe you you would be most comfortable phrasing it is if you had seen this movie in time for the list that you finalized mm-hmm. uh, for two thousand and seventeen when we recorded our episode had you had seen it it for sure would have been on that top ten list. Well, I guess my question is: Is it more important to uh, keep the list? as it was at the time of me making it, you know, um, for historical purposes? Or is it fine to just go back, like, maybe three years from now, five, 20 years from now? Um, I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even hear about this film back in that year, but I just saw it, and it's fantastic. Um, That's a hard thing. I I retroactively, you know, put it on the list. I don't know. I mean, I think it, it depends on the individual, but I will say you will always have a record of your list. Yeah. The record is on this show, mm-hmm. basically. It's it's here. Oh, God. That's terrifying. <laughs> what? That forever where, where we go, this podcast will follow I'll us? Put it this, I'll put it this way. No one ever looks back and said, wow, I said some really smart shit in my like late teens, early 20s. Yeah, I said no. some genuinely intelligent things. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a little scary. But guess what? The next generation is going to have it so much worse. They all, yeah, they, they are. all have phones now when they're five and they're doing the most just horrible things horrible you could possibly things imagine. Insane, terrible things because they're like 10 years old. Um, all right. Instead of thinking about the doom that is society, uh, Let's tune in for another to the table coming pretty oh, soon. Oh yeah. Oh, that one is that's I will give you a hint. The theme for the next to the table is the doom of our society. Yes. That's the theme. See if you can figure out what two films we talk about. 
Um, That's going to be an amazing episode. I can't wait for that. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I gave you for a film to watch Unbreakable M. Night Shyamalan, his second feature film after uh, his breakout hit Signs. The f- Right. Both of which star Bruce Willis. Um, so I'm going to give a, a small little synopsis of the, uh, the film Unbreakable. came out in the year 2000, 19 years ago. Uh, tagline, some things are only revealed by accident. An ordinary man makes an extraordinary discovery when a train accident leaves his fellow passengers dead and him unscathed. The answer to this mystery could lie with the mysterious Elijah Price, a man who suffers from a disease that renders his bones as fragile as glass. Glass. In bold letters. By the way, I'm getting these uh, synopsis from uh, Letterbox XD mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Before I, I, I just want to say very quickly about Phantom Thread. Um, because I, I feel like maybe perhaps a little bit unfairly characterized on that one. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Set the record. I, I like, because I, I, I think uh, my comments uh, about all these scenes should tell you that I do really like a lot about the movie and appreciate it for what it is. But it's in that space of movies, again, that I like, admire, and respect, but it, I just don't like it as much as other movies. And that's just where it is. Yeah. Some people just have different tastes. Yeah, yeah. But I think it was a very, a, a very wonderful film. Now, Unbreakable... Mm-hmm. Is a different thing. I don't know why I'm wearing this. <laughs> I was going to say, he just put like, on like this thong. I don't know why he put it on. <laughs> okay, thank you for that. Um, um, no, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable. You know that's not going to go in the final cut. You just know for sure. It's not going in the Soto cut, that's for sure. Um, Release the Soto Soto cut. Okay. <laughs> Well, maybe if you actually edit, but God forbid we never let you do any editing anymore. Um, I know, right? Uh, so Unbreakable is actually one of those movies that kind of won me over from like the second that I finished watching it, or maybe even while I was watching it. Uh, I would characterize it perhaps as a classic and maybe even as a herald uh, of, of, the, of this genre that it, it kind of is, but it isn't at the same time. I think for what Unbreakable is known as was known as back then, even more so, I think, today, and I think it's aged tremendously well considering how old the film is, is that it is a deconstruction of the comic book genre. And I think it's very important that I saw this movie at the time that I did, which is last summer. It was very important that I saw that film at that time because as listeners of the Red Spotlight podcast would know that Peter and I Maybe more, so, maybe more so than I than Peter, although he does tag along, mm-hmm. have been bitching and moaning about the status of comic book films in the sense that they're all really just aiming for what's popular right now and and what what is commonly associated as the bare minimum and generic and okay. Aiming for the middle, so to speak. Exactly, and that's um, and and to see a film that I wasn't looking into it at all as a comic book film. I didn't even realize that comic books would be a thing um, because I really didn't know much or anything about the movie um, before watching it. Only, of course, you know, the talent that the movie has. And 
I have to say, if we're going to consider this a comic book slash superhero movie, I think it's without question one of the best ever made. One of the best ever made, and I think uh, I think it really was a shock because I am not a follower, uh, a long follower of M. Night Shyamalan's filmography. I, to, to be quite frank with you, this was the only good <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan film I've seen. I think most of the films that I've seen from him have been his 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 demise in a sense. Wait, which ones um, have you seen? His, well, I, I I think I saw a bit of After Earth. I might have oh. seen The Last Airbender. Oh. You know those those movies. Because as a kid, I loved M Night Shyamalan. It's so, that's so weird to say, right? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> by kid, I mean like I remember that being was a like, different world back then. That's why like, M Night Shyamalan is one of those rare instances where you have a rise and fall uh, story. No, but I think it's weird just because like the types of films he made, it wasn't like they were like child friendly films. No, they weren't. But then again, you are Peter Martin. Like I remember. So that's not really like a surprise to me. Seven, eight, nine, ten, and like I, I love. I remember when the village came out and just like so excited to see it because it was an M Night Shyamalan film. Um, like I said, Unbreakable was one of my favorite films as a kid, and I like I didn't even like that was before the whole like comic book movie genre, like as a genre. Even it was two thousand. It was the year two thousand. You can almost say it predates. I think it's before the original Spider-Man, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it should be before the original X-Men. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, people, when the film was originally, the, re, the film didn't have very good reviews at the time. They were like... Pe- it didn't? No. Really? People were like, this is good, but we don't really know what it is, kind of. Like, um, I think it also hurts because, again, it was ahead of its time he just came off of his hit, uh, the sixth sense and it was sold as like a, a thriller or like a horror mm-hmm. film. Like that was the way it was being marketed. And then people got this like interesting deconstruction of comic books. And they're like, I, it seems like it was a good film, but we like, people just didn't know what to make of it. And that's why I, I said like, this is a film that if it had come out, um, 10 or 20 years later, like today, um, it would be yeah. considered like amazing. Like it would get people would love it. it. To me, it really is a film that was ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with all of that a hundred percent. And I think it's also a proper commentary for what a lot of films are not today. A lot of films that that are trying to capture uh, what superheroes are, and I think. Uh, uh, what, what's interesting about this movie is, of course, it plays with the nature of uh, this idea. And it's also, I think, a very interesting premise about um, taking in a real in, in a real world approach to whether or not superheroes exist. And you have in the form of Samuel L. Jackson's character, Mr. Glass, as he calls himself, who is a comic book enthusiast, maybe even a connoisseur, if you will. Um, kind of like the Lando Calrissians of comic books where he just has like galas of comic books and classic comic books. Throw a little bit of John, uh, John Schnepp and Kevin Smith in there. Uh, and you have a fanatic, if you will, uh, a, a, an individual who, as we see throughout the course of the film, is shaped by these comic books uh, because of his uh, uh, his um the, the uh, circumstances that essentially cripple him uh, and – him being 
um, having this rare condition where his bones essentially are as fragile as glass. Mm-hmm. Um, him and spending essentially all these time with comic books, all this time with comic books, you really do by the time things are revealed, shall we say by the end of the movie, um, you really do get a sense of understanding and you really do realize the film was building to that and to convince you of the decisions that are made by Mr. Glass, uh, who I think is of, of an endlessly fascinating character yeah. who is played by wonderfully by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, to take, to take the, this, we can do spoilers now, right? I, uh, yes, we can. Um, cause it's, I mean, it's a 19 year old movie. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, always be careful. Um, Han Solo dies in the force awakens. <gasps> <laughs> and then and Jake Skywalker dies in, in Last Jedi. <laughs> I was about to say Star Wars died in the Last Jedi. <laughs> um, and Marvel dies coming this May oh, no. or April, I should say. Oh no! Um, I love I love uh, the way the film starts. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, which one are you referring to? Because there's two scenes at the beginning. Well, the one that I think the train sequence, yes. right? Is that what yes. you mean? Yeah. I love it because it conveys a lot of information in, in that small little yeah. scene. Because you see... Without without you even realizing a lot of it, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, you see... Uh, what's his name? Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. I want to use his name because I used to know. David Dunn. Um, which, David again, Dunn. it's it's the uh, alliteration that the is that used the... a lot in comic books. Like Peter Parker, right. where it's um, P.P., David Dunn, D. Right, right. Um, Even Elijah Price sounds like a, yeah. a, a villain name. <laughs> um, he he's on a train, and again, this is what I, I this is a film I would consider slow. And the camera yes. just sort of pans back and forth. A, a girl sits next to him. He immediately takes his wedding ring off and puts it in his pocket. He so you're like, oh, is this a sleaze bag? Kind of. He, he kind of <laughs> tries to flirt with her. It doesn't work out, and he's like, he's like shit, you know. So he puts his wedding finger back on, and he's just sort of staring out the window. And then I love how it slowly the tension wrappens up, and you realize something's not right, and like noise mm-hmm. gets louder and louder and louder and louder. Because the camera sits staring, like, it, it, it's lingering on it mm-hmm. to the point where. Um, you start to question, okay, what's going on here? Why are we still on this frame? Is something happening that we're not aware of? Because for a moment, it, it, I think what, what the director was trying to convey to you is that we are just seeing moments of this train continuing to happen. And after Bruce Willis, David Dunn has been turned down and we're still sitting on this, okay, what is going to happen next? And then you slowly but surely start to get the sense that something is about to go horribly, horribly wrong. And we don't see the accident. Mm. Uh, maybe the budget that would require was a money. part of that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think maybe that that made it. But you didn't need yeah. to. And especially when when it's uh, when it's uh, basically told to you in the next scene, what you don't realize at the moment. But when the doctor comes in and he's, you know, inspecting David Dunn for Who his played injuries, that doctor. I don't remember. Uh, it's been uh, like a whole summer. Oh, Who played the doctor? Stamper. Oh, it was Michael Kelly, yeah. Doug Stamper. Interesting. There's a couple actors in here. Like, who plays his son? 
Oh, uh, Spencer Clark, uh, who is also on Agents yeah, of Shield. Got his face crushed in. For uh, got his what? Got his face crushed in. Yes, yes, he was. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, he was that character. He was. Uh, he was playing uh, Strucker's son on Agents of Shield for several seasons, and he was the one that was uh, murdered by Dove Cameron's character. His his head was crushed in, which I I think is one of the funniest moments of that season. I I concur. Um, <laughs> And Robin Wright, who plays uh, a lot, David a lot Dunn's of your wife. favorite actors are in this. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so Robin Wright plays his wife, and again, I, a lot of people I think kind of got re- weary of M Night Shyamalan's Shyamalanisms, where it's like he. But at that point, um, not at that point. I mean, later on in his career. I maintain that I I really love M Night Shyamalan style of directing when it's a good film, um, like like his um, what he does a lot is he'll he'll have the camera like really far away, and mm. um, like when he was talking to the doctor, the camera was far away, and you're just kind of zooming in a little bit on on like you don't get a clear look of uh, the right. doctor. You're just staring at um, Bruce Willis's face and you're just taking in the emotion and his slow realization of like, you're the only one alive. And I love the little scene where he walks out and like he hugs his family and he's just sort of walking down the hall and you see all these other families, like all of them. And you know, all of their loved ones are dead, but he is just walking out the door. Like literally nothing happened. There, there was, you know, yes, all yes to all of what you said about that sequence. But there was also just something so, I don't know, just awkward and uncomfortable. And you, I think, in on some level, it, the, the camera was trying to convey that a lot of these people were envious that yeah. he was the only person that lived. And like, why you? And then that becomes the why question of the whole film why right, right. you and it's like oh so perfect uh, i'm tell when Ed, when m night is on his a game he's like my favorite director like i <laughs> it's rare but it's when he hits it he hits gold mm-hmm. i think a ghost walked in no continue a ghost is by No, it's not. <laughs> okay. Um, so then that sets the stage for him meeting Elijah. And this is also one of my favorite Samuel L. Jackson characters because Samuel L. Jackson is usually paying someone with a lot of emotion and a lot of like screaming and a lot of uh, motherfuckers thrown in there for good measure and with Elijah he's just like a really calm collected individual intel- subdued. subdued intelligent individual and um was it Samuel Jackson plays him so well uh yeah. it's it's one of my favorite Samuel Jackson characters and again it's the little things where the first time viewing it you might not notice but like he's usually color coded like a lot of uh, comic book purple. villains and heroes, he's usually always wearing purple. Um, yeah. He he has his his cane usually. Um, 
uh, David Dunn, he's usually wearing green because um, yeah. that's his char- his his color um, prescribed to him. And the rest of the film is, one, dealing with the drama of David Dunn's strained relationship with his family, um, and, uh, and particularly his wife. Oh, but also, I think equally his son as well. So yeah, his whole family. And then also... Mm-hmm his um, interactions with Elijah and him insisting that the reason he survived is because he is an incredible being like the ones out of a comic book, basically. Right. Right. And it's the entire. And it sound as crazy as it's meant to. Yes. In that sequence, like this guy is off his rocker because like, of course the premise of the film is meant to come off very straight in the sense that if you imagine this being real life, of course there is no such thing as comic book characters. Go ahead. What? 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 I'll drink it right now. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's fine. Um, and, I personally find it an interesting premise in uh, in the sense that it, the question, or not the question, but the theory that is thrown out there by Elijah Price, is, I almost said Elijah Wood for whatever reason. I almost, you know what? <laughs> I, mean, I almost did too. That's why I just said Elijah. Because I was like, Elijah, Elijah. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens. Um, and I, I thought it was, it's, it's very interesting, this, this notion that he has that um, people with heightened abilities are the inspiration for comic book you know what's so, and it's a human evolution. You know what's so great about that too is mm. the whole first part, the, like the very beginning of the film, you see his entire life. Like you see the immense struggle he goes through. He's so tired yeah. and terrified as a child of breaking yeah. his bones that he doesn't even want to step outside his own apartment. Um, and the, the only escape from all this pain is comic books. So you would believe that someone who grew up under just as difficult um, condition, conditions that he did, he might be a little, you know, have a screw loose or two and, and yeah. genuinely believe that um, these things are real. So um, throughout the entire film, you're just going back and forth and there's little things that right when you believe like, oh, okay, he has... Maybe he is like something out of a comic book. They'll throw you for a curve and be like, no, no, it's not. But then it's like, oh, but it is like, I don't want to get into it yet. But like the whole water thing. Um, so, yeah. Do you want to go ahead? Or um, No, I, I, I think it's a very interesting concept. And of course, you know, to really just uh, to bring up or to kind of like, you know, support with what you just said is that, yes, you believe it entirely because this is exactly what Elijah Price is in a sense. Like he he uses it almost as a coping mechanism or he did to kind of get through the rough terrain, if you will, of his of his childhood and the conditions that he had to go through. Um but you can definitely tell from that first interaction that this is going to come up several times more. Um, and I, I don't recall what was the the moment exactly where David Dunn began to wonder about uh, Elijah's theory. Because um, I think on their first meeting, he said, like, 
have you ever taken a day off sick or whatever, you know, because he's yeah. saying like you title of the film, you're unbreakable. You were like, you know, the Superman that you see in the comic books. So then he goes to his work and he's like, uh, he asked them like, check the records if I've ever taken a sick day. Cause even he doesn't know the answer to mm-hmm. it. He's just, and then they tell him like, yeah, uh, all the time he's been working there, never took a sick day. And then that, they meet us several times after afterwards and there's there's little things that elijah will tell him and he he's like uh you know of all the jobs you could have chosen you chose security protecting people why do you think that is why do you think you were drawn to that and then you know it gets me wondering too like yeah why did you pick that it it, it kind of you know begins to thread the needle of wait a minute maybe this is actually true and and um I like I love the the scene where because the son automatically is like yeah like that my dad he's a superhero he's real and of course there's all the other drama that's going on between him and his wife which is really great yeah like, like so well acted um, but I love the little scene where he's working out and then the son didn't tell him but he added weight oh yeah yeah <laughs> and, and then he told him to take off weight but. Oh yeah, that's what happened. He told him to take off weight, but he actually added weight. And then yeah. he's like, "Like holy shit, you know, I didn't realize I could, you know, bench press all of this." So then he slowly started adding more and more weight to test the limits of his strength, and he just kept going and going and going. And it's, but it's still so so realistic. Like it's easily the most realistic, you know, quote unquote comic book film ever made it's it's just so subdued where it's like yeah. it could be a superpower you know that he's able to lift so much or he's a naturally strong individual like it it's it's not like he's lifting a train you know yeah it's just exactly. a lot of weight not without the realm not out of the realm of possibility but still something that's rather difficult um but i love when they they threw it for the loop when he realizes that he got sick when he was a kid. He got pneumonia. He almost died. And again, mm-hmm. he, he has the worst memory of anyone in the whole <laughs> Yeah. World. Yeah. Because people are constantly telling him about his own past. Um, and then this kind of put, and I loved this. I remember loving this twist as a kid. This puts um, uh, Elijah in a sort of state of depression where it's like, Oh, like he's not who I thought he was. And he, because he was sick. Yeah. He almost died. Yeah. But then he, when he kind of trashes a comic book shop, he stumbles upon a comic book that reminds him, uh, superheroes have weaknesses. Everyone has kryptonite. And again, this is such like the most down to earth, realistic, uh, superhero story. His kryptonite is, you know, he don't do good around water. <laughs> he's he's not a strong swimmer. Um, and that's, I like, I love that. I love that his kryptonite is, isn't literally this giant uh, foreign crazy looking rock. It's, it's something as simple as water. Um, so I, what, what do you think? 
I'm kind of writing, writing no, down the whole thing. No, no, no. no. You're, you're kind of really remembering why, my, why I love the movie in the first place. Because all of these things are there for a purpose. I was just wondering about the water you just mentioned and, and the kryptonite. Yes, wonderful little twist there. Um, kind of didn't see it coming, but it makes so much sense once it's brought up. And like it, it, it was not the only time that it was brought up. Mm. It, it, it came back to great effect in that thrilling finale. And I want to get to that because that's like one of my favorite finales of a film ever. But I want to touch on the the family side drama because what's mm. great about this film is that it it interweaves perfectly in with this you know Elijah side of the story because mm-hmm. it, it really is a a, a down to earth story about uh, a a guy who's just kind of unhappy, and it strained his relationship with his wife with his son and he doesn't know. And I think that's a very human thing that I feel a lot of people have probably gone through and every, and again, a lot of these scenes are slow, but every time him and um, his wife are speaking, I'm just like really invested. Like I'm, I'm really into everything that's going on. Like all the drama that was going on with them really came yes. to a head uh, when the kid pulled out a gun on him. Like, yeah, oh my god, that was awful. Oh my god. Uh, no, it, it was terrible. It was terrible because like at that moment and and you're always questioning yourself at at several moments in the movie. And I think one of the, the brilliant things that it sets up is you're always wondering, okay, is Elijah's notion correct? Is it horribly wrong? Does he have the abilities? And it all comes to a head at that moment because this is going. This can only end horribly wrong or incredibly right. It's, it can only ever end this way. And if he's wrong, he dies. Yeah. And, it, and it's just like a crazy dynamic that the, the family themselves has been building up to because of all the the personal issues that they've been having. And then this whole like Elijah thing really just throws them for a loop. Um, but what I love about it is the super heroics angle of it is kind of an allegory for almost wasted potential. Um, hmm. Because he to like, he feels unhappy. He feels sort of unfulfilled in his life because he's not doing what he was destined to do. Um, but he threw away that destiny or whatever, or, or his talent, his physical abilities, because if he didn't, he would lose his wife. Like that's when he finally realizes that he is super, superhuman to an extent because he yeah. was supposed to be this big, you know, all-time football player. But then they realized uh, when back when they were in college, if he had, if he um, pursued a career, pursued a career, he would have him and his wife would have had to have broken up. And when they got in that car crash, he made the decision to fake an injury to stay with his wife, and I, I remember that. I was an amazing little thing that came out of that too because so he faked an injury so he could stay with his wife. Mm-hmm. 
That way he can have an excuse for not pursuing a career in football. Yeah. But at the same time, his they they kind of also insinuate that's where his unhappiness stems from because he's not doing yeah. what he's meant to do. If, if you see a lot of M. Night's films, he, they're kind of all about destiny in a way. Um, mm. His better films, especially Signs. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so his his he realizes that his fulfillment, his happiness is going to come when he finally stops running away from who he is and becomes essentially a superhero. What, and that's when he calls up Elijah and he's like, like, what do I do? Yeah. And then that leads us into the third act where he's like, go to a place, a crowded place. And he has this sort of almost psychic intuition to know when people have done bad things. And so he, I, yeah. like, I love yeah. the scene where he walks out. And by the way, real quick, the, I, the score is like phenomenal. It's one of my yeah. favorite scores. Like I love the theme for this film. Um, mm-hmm. He walks out into a crowded place and he just sort of like starts feeling people around him. And what I love is there's a, there's a lot of like people that he can intuitively see have done some bad things, but he can't go after all of them. He has to make a decision on which is bad enough that he has to go after. Um, mm-hmm. Again, very real world shit where like he's he can't save everyone. And then that's where he f- he sees the guy who's, you know, broken into a house, killed someone, chained their family. And then he he um he decides this is the first person I'm going to go after. This is where my superheroics begin. And um, I don't know if you've heard this, but in the original script, that that character was supposed to be um, the uh, James McAvoy from Split. No, I had no idea. Yeah, because so the character that had broken into the home. Yes. So oh, in no, the first know. draft of Unbreakable Split, the the entire story of Split was supposed to be happening at the same time as unbreakable and then it would have came to a head when he yeah right Um, okay so but again that would have been like a four-hour movie (laughs) with like so much shit so then he he took he cut that part out and just made the guy like a regular dude and then he eventually made Mm -hmm. split um you haven't seen split right no i plan to okay this week I mean, we know, but I, Kyle I, I, I kind of know what happens. He, he from what I understand, that he hold, he holds some people hostage, and yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so, and then this is so great because I love how this film is able to make the ordinary seem extraordinary, like a comic book. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. have a costume; he just throws on his poncho from work, and it's a security on the back. Um, but he has the hood and it makes him look like, a v- and it's his color, it's his color. It's green. Um, <clears throat> and it's the, it's not like some over the top battle with this, um, bad guy. It's really raw and it's really dirty and it's realistic. Like at yeah. first he's thrown into the pool and well, he saves the kids, but he's thrown into the yeah. pool and he's um he's that's when you're like oh shit he can't swim 
<laughs> no, you can't. You could drown at this moment. Yeah. Um, but when the kids pull him up and like he, he just like kind of clasps onto the side of the pool and he stands up and, you know, his ponchos flowing and the music's, you know, swelling. Like it, it's, it's shot as if it's like this, like imagine a Superman movie. It's like after like three buildings were dropped on top of Superman, he like, you know, punches up and flies up and it's like the music swells, but instead it's just this yeah. unbelievably realistic and small, intimate moment. Um, it's so great. And then of course he goes in and kills the guy and I cannot get over the score. It's just how perfect it is. Um, and then the twist with <laughs> all M night Shyamalan movies, which again, which I did not see coming strangely enough. I mean, the, the, it's one of those things where the movie was building to mm-hmm. it in a sense, but when it happened, holy shit. It's the best twists I think in a film are when it finally happens. You look back and you're like, holy shit. It was right in front of me the f- whole time. Like it makes perfect yeah. sense. Um, he, you know, the next day in the newspaper, it's like man saves, uh, uh, two children after, you know, family was attacked, two dead parents. Um, he's finally at peace. So he's finally able, um, David Dunn, to be happy with his family in a way. Um, that emptiness that used to be there is no longer there. So he's yeah. found out who he is. and Thanks to Elijah. Thanks to Elijah. So he goes and he sees Elijah and Elijah's like, all right, I think this is the part where we shake hands. And then because he has that sort of sidekick um, ability, he sees that um, Elijah was the one who blew up the train and he caused like an, uh, a plane crash and a burning building. And he did all of it in an attempt to find, to find somebody like to say, find someone like him. And it's so amazing because it, it's, this is why I love the character of Elijah because the way he explains it, he's, he says, you know, now that we know who you are, I know who I am. I'm not a, mis- I'm yeah. not a mistake. And it's just like, damn, like you, you understand the psychology of, of what made him so freaking crazy, you know, because as a child, he must have thought, you know, why am I even alive? Why am I here? You know, I, I, I'm, I break every two seconds. Life is hell. And combine that with the way that comic books was the only thing that gave him any kind of peace in his life, the way he would kind of fall down this rabbit hole into that. Um, And of course the best line, you know how I knew the kids would call me, they called me Mr. Glass. (laughs) And then that's when you realize he's ostensibly his arch enemy, uh, Mr. Glass. Yeah. One of those moments where it's like he finds, I guess, purpose. Mm -hmm. He finds the reason why he's here, and that is to be the arch His purpose is to be the the villain. villain. And And he's okay with that. Because it means he has purpose. Like, that's so crazy. Like, uh, that's such an interesting psychology to a villain. That the whole reason that he does villainous things 
is because it means that he wasn't a mistake, that he, it is his purpose. I think that's just so interesting as a character. Um, so yeah, as a whole, I, I, it's, it's probably one of my favorite films of all time, just because of how much I adore comic books and comic book films. And I think this is just one of the most interesting, well-made comic book films. If you can even call it a traditional comic book film. Yeah. If, uh, I agree with everything you just said. I think every word of that really illustrates why this movie is kind of perfection, really. And you just can you just believe how shocked I was to see that, that M. Night Shyamalan, of all people, made this movie, who have not seen most of the movies that apparently are good. See, Eminon. Eminon. M. Night gets a really bad rap. Um, maybe deservedly so. He had a, a string of some. High-profile disasters. Yes. And by the way... Not bad movie. It's disasters. He... Right right when he was on the edge into disasterdom, he was really, like, sniffing his own farts hard. Like, his head (laughs) was huge. And I think it's... um, He really needed to humble himself. I'll put it that way. Um, But his earlier films... Like, a lot of people had issues with science. I think science is great. I really enjoyed science. A lot of people don't like the village. The village is probably the weaker of his good films, but I do think the village is a good film. Um, And again, maybe I'm predisposed because it's just his style of filmmaking. I really enjoy like Mm -hmm. um, we can get into the elephant in the room. Glass ain't doing good critically. In fact, oh, is it? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you you know. send reviews every two seconds, so I don't know. Um, I do that for the benefit of knowledge. People. Knowledge, okay. <laughs> when Agents of yeah, I'm when Agents of Shield finally gets canceled, I will send so many articles in benefit of knowledge. You know, it's interestingly enough because we've talked about this several times that uh, you know Agents of Shield was renewed. I think twice, twice, and oh yeah, it was renewed twice in one yeah. year. Uh, to, I think, the shock of you. I mean, all you sent when the news came that it was renewed for a seventh season was a gif of a, a stunned Frank Underwood. And there was just no commentary at all, ever again. Well, yeah. yeah. I wonder what that was about. I, I wonder, too. Anyways, Glass. <laughs> <laughs> I think the insinuation is that I'm rubbing it in your faces that this movie is apparently sucking. That's not at all what's happening here. I think it's... I find it very interesting because the reviews are kind of very kind they're mixed to negative they're mixed to negative yes i think that's fair um i find it very interesting just because a lot of the films that people really harp on like that they've that kind of got mixed to somewhat negative like signs or the village i still like really enjoy Mm. and like maybe even love Right. So it's even like Unbreakable when it was originally released didn't get much love critically simply because I think it was ahead of its time. Um, So it's going to be, I'm really interested to see where I fall along the spectrum. Um, I don't know. 
like I honestly there's certain filmmakers and films where it's like if if reviews come out and they're like this film sucks I'm like yeah okay I'm gonna think the film sucks well there's a good like there's a good chance you thought it was going to anyway yeah considering how we kind of follow all the new releases that are happening we I think it, it's fair to say that there are a lot of movies this year that we have kind of preconceived notions of what they will be received as usually right um I'm I'm kind yeah. of hoping this is like a, a reverse last Jedi for me where like you mean the the critics hated it but I'm just like I I liked it <laughs> um with the last Jedi like the critics loved it but the fans were like how dare you how dare you Jake Skywalker um, oh my god I don't I don't know I I'll tell you this I'm probably not going to think it's I'm definitely not going to think it's better than Unbreakable and I'm probably not going to think it's better than Split but if I end up liking it, I think that's that's really good. Yeah, that's something. That's a really a lot to like a movie. Um, I, I I just uh, I'm I'm just curious. I'm curious what all of us think. I, I wonder because it's been a long time since we've had a movie where we kind of really disagree. Yeah, not just you and me, but like maybe even Kyle. It's it's going to be interesting to see what the reaction's going to be. Here. I don't think you need to see Split to see Glass, but I, I'd like you to see Split first just so um, comparison of quality of film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I think we, we, we're we pretty on the same page as far as the quality of Unbreakable. Um, and I really, I really like Split. Um, mm-hmm. It's maybe his third or fourth best film. Um, really? I think so. Yeah. I think it's really good. Um, so I don't know. I'm really intrigued. I'm not, I would be lying if I said I still wasn't looking forward to the film. No, I'm looking forward to seeing what it's going to be like and what the reaction will be. Love it or hate it. It's going to be a conversation that we can have about film. I'm always up for that. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like it's going to be more than like, a lot of times we go to these films and it's like it got bad reviews and then we see it and we're like, yeah, it's bad. Like, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> a lot. Of, well, I think well, there's there are some rare exceptions where um, that did. I think for me, one of the glaring ones was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Well, it didn't get terrible reviews. But, yeah, that's the one where we came out loving it and where most people were like, it was good. But we're like, no, it's fucking great. Like, we're. There, there yeah. are definitely exceptions. I love when that happens. I really, I love do. it when that happens too. Because you're so rarely surprised with films nowadays. Like I feel like, for the most part, right before I see a film, I can probably gauge how I feel about it. If anything, the only surprises I get is if I don't like a film. <laughs> it's rarely ever where I'm like, oh, I go into a film like, oh, this is gonna suck, or I'm worried about it sucking, and then I come out loving it like or even just like really liking it that's far more rare than the opposite happening so i'm really hoping and i there for me personally there's a lot of things working in its favor that i end up liking it like it is i do it's from one of my favorite directors uh one of my favorite properties i guess you can say 
um, unbreakable and split and all that. But there's always a great potential that you walk out hating it absolutely. I could come out just more angry than anything. Like we could come and do the review for Glass, and I am just fuming, going off on tangents on. Well, if everything goes according to plan, uh, hopefully you and Kyle will see it together. That way you can do an after dark. That way they'll have your initial reactions on tape, on video mm-hmm. for people to see in glorious Technicolor, if you will. But um, it, I don't know. I, I really don't know how I'm going to feel about this, but how, about this movie, Glass. But I think um, what should to note about the critics and the reviews, there have been several of them that have said that this is M. Night Shyamalan's worst movie. And that, that seems very hard to believe. No. Like, If you've seen five <laughs> minutes of the last airbender, you know how full of shit that is. I've seen them say it's worst in so much like the most wasted potential. And theoretically that I can see that um, as far as wasted potential mm-hmm. goes. But like, I've seen a couple of clips from the film and I'm like, this looks exactly like what I wanted. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Cause a lot of them say it's like really muddied and he just like drones on about the same crap. But I kind of like when he does that. Like it, like again, it's just, maybe it's nostalgia. Yeah. Maybe it's just cause like I became accustomed to the, his, my tastes became accustomed to him and his directing style. So I don't know. I just don't know. I'm hoping, I'm hoping for good. Well, I, you, I'm hoping for good as well. It's, it's, you know what sucks? Cause I was like, I want to get, uh, uh, like, a box trilogy of, um, yeah. Unbreakable split and glass. But I think, right. um, Disney owns unbreakable. Yeah, there's a weird Touchstone Pictures owns that movie. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. I don't know no. how they use the characters. If they probably had to pay them. Or, I don't know. I don't know how any of that works. I don't know either, but I think now is a good time to end it. Or to end this little thing. Oh, yes. Uh, it was a great convo. Uh, check out both of these movies for sure. Um there's a lot to talk about here and there's going to be more to discuss in the next uh, coming days and weeks to see uh, definitely for glass when that comes out but thank you Peter for uh, coming on here today um, hopefully we could do more of these episodes uh, I can tell you right now that I'm already talking about Kyle with some other um, episodes that we can do for this particular series and we can get more uh, film heavy discussions for 2019 But uh, until next time, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you later.